faith, faith toward God. Mark 1, 15. So please turn there. And by the way, I know the other night I said it's not bombs and so on and so forth that we need, but it's powerful prayer against the spirit of Islam. And uh, I want to clarify that what I'm trying to say is it is a spiritual battle more than it is a physical battle. Okay? We do need to hit them with bombs. We do need to strike them militarily. They have to be held back. They have to be held in check. Okay? The United States of America cannot take a passive position on this. They must take an, an offensive and they must hit them. They must strike them and must be with bombs. So what I meant by that was that it's more a spiritual battle than it is a physical battle. Now, Wednesday night when we started praying and uh, the Lord gave us the direction to pray against that spirit of Islam, there was such a powerful anointing of God's presence in this house that I know that I can't even describe it to you or explain it to you, but I know you felt it. My son even said, Daddy, I had chills running down up and down my back as the church entered into prayer against that spirit of Islam. Brother Heath told me, he said, I don't normally run to the front very often, but he said, I felt compelled of God to run to the front and to engage that spirit of Islam. So we are in a spiritual battle. You need to understand that first. Then it manifests itself in the physical. But the church must be in a position right now where it is praying against the spirit of Islam because it is a spirit, it's a bloodthirsty, murderous demon that wants to take your life. It is not time to be lukewarm. It's not time to be carnal. It's not time to be backslid. It is time to be on fire for God. It's time to be full of the Holy Ghost. It's time to be a part of the army of the living God where you are praying against that spirit because if you don't, it will invade our country and many of us may die by the hand of this group. That's how serious it is. So you need to pray for the leadership of our country. You need to pray for the president. Amen. That he, that he would get an understanding of how serious it is. The State Department, so on and so forth, Pentagon, people that are planning the strategies, amen, to, to deal with this situation because it is that serious. Okay? It's that serious. So we got to pray. Amen? We don't have a spirit of fear as far as the enemy, but we do have to have reverential respect for God Almighty in this hour. And we need to do what we're supposed to do in the spirit, and that's pray against the spirit of Islam. You understand the seriousness of this hour? I pray you do. We're not going to act like the President of the United States. One of the reasons why ISIS has made so, so many um, strides into the Middle East is because he pulled the troops out and shut down the war of our, in Iraq. He didn't end it. He didn't end the war. He just stopped the war. Now, listen, I'm not against a president, but I'm just telling you right now, the mindset or the ideology that you could pull the troops out of Iraq and then let the JV, he called them, let the JV invade like they did, 
The reason why we're in the mess right now is because he took a passive approach. The Bible says a strong man armed keepeth his house. And he is finding out right now that his vision of the world where there's less influence of the United States in this world is a wrong vision. He's finding it out. Okay? What I'm saying to you, church, is this. I'm not bashing the president. I'm just telling you reality. That if you start taking a passive approach to your walk with God, you're going to die. You cannot do it. You must fight. You must get on fire. You must, you must fight. You must not be like the President of the United States that, that has a, lives in a dream world. You have to wake up out of your little dream world, your fantasy world, and start fighting. I personally believe that God is allowing this leadership to be in our country as a judgment upon this nation. That's what I personally believe. Okay? It is a failed leadership. So you need to pray for him because he needs to wake up. We pray that he does. We pray that he takes action. We pray that he defends our nation. Your government is supposed to defend you from the threat of the enemy. You understand? And if they're not doing that, they're not doing their job. So you need to pray, for the, and I need to pray for the President of the United States, okay, that he wakes up and defends this nation the way he's supposed to. Okay, you with me here right now? I'm being kind. You should have heard, there was a judge on Fox last night, Judge Janine, I don't know if you ever heard her. She let him have it. She let the President of the United States have it. And rightfully so. All right? Now, let me just say this to you, and I, I'm feeling led to go here, and I'm going there. But there's a man of God in the Oneness Jesus Name movement who, if I were to call him by name, in fact, I won't do that, but if I were to call him by name, every one of you in this church know who it is. He stood up in a conference not long ago, a big conference, a well-known conference in the oneness movement. And he said in that conference, if you voted for President Obama, he said, you need to get in an altar and you need to repent. As a result of what he said, he is no longer allowed to preach in that conference. And that wasn't the only thing he said, but I'm just telling you right now, the man, I believe, delivered a prophetic message to the oneness church okay because it's that serious so if some of you are offended by the fact that I would make reference to the president of the United States like I have okay I respect the office but you better feel the office you better you better uh, handle the responsibility of the office I respect the office of president but that don't mean I have to agree with what the president is doing you're offended by that, I apologize to you being offended. But we are in danger. This nation is in danger. And we need to pray for leadership. And uh, it's evidently a judgment from God upon this nation. Um, I, would, I would love to see him get in touch with Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, and say, help us deal with Syria. 
because I promise you get Israel involved now. We've got some pretty strong, you know, intelligence and a strong armed force and everything. We're we're probably one of the most powerful nations in the world as far as military used to be anyway. I pray we still are. But you get Israel involved. You've got something. Those people train. They 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 um they train when they start when they're teenagers. Okay? In the military, it is required. It is required for you to go into the military in Israel as a, as a teenager, and they cross train you. They are highly skilled. Okay, so it would be awesome, I think, if they'd get Israel to help them, to help us. But we're in the kingdom of God, right? And we have a general. His name is Jesus. And we have a king, and his name is Jesus. And he told us these things were going to happen before they happened. They're in the prophets. And we thank God that he's already forewarned us. Amen. But we need to pray. We need to pray for the leadership of our country. Do you believe that? Amen. All right, let's get into the word of the Lord so I don't keep you all day. Uh, Mark chapter 1 and verse 15. Okay, uh, the Bible says and saying the time is fulfilled and the, that the kingdom of God or the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Repent ye and believe the gospel. In Acts chapter 20, beginning with verse 17, and from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. We've already talked about repentance. We're talking about, remember he says, repent and believe the gospel? That's faith, okay? The Bible says here in Acts 20, 21, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance, we've already taught that. And the next word, Faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ or faith toward God. Let's go to the book of Hebrews in chapter 6. Verse 1, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go unto, unto perfection, not laying again the foundation, number one, of repentance, from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptism and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. Those are the ABCs of the doctrines of Christianity right there. So the first one was repentance from dead works. The second one is faith toward God. You see it? So believe, right? Repent and believe the gospel. It tells us to repent and have faith. Toward Jesus Christ. Repent toward God and faith toward Jesus Christ. And then it says here, 
repent of dead works, and then we have faith toward God. Correct? Acts 20, 21 says, faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. Here it says, faith toward God. Well, same. He's the same. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. God, I ask you to give me strength and courage and energy to teach this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. All right. As we teach on faith toward God, the first thing we need to do is explain to you what faith is not. What faith is not. Okay? Praise the Lord. Number one, it is not mental assent. Faith is not mental assent or accepting historical facts. You say there's many people that believe the historical facts about Jesus Christ. They believe the historical facts of his death, burial, and resurrection. They believe in the historical facts of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. They believe in the historical facts uh, and they accept those. But that is not faith. Okay? Uh, just uh, today, just because you believe that there was a man named Jesus, just believe you, just because you accept that he died on the cross or that he rose again the third day, that does not save you. Just accepting those facts. So faith is not mental assent or mental acceptance. In James chapter 2, it's very similar to what we said last week on repentance. Are you with me? Repentance is not just accepting historical facts. The Bible says this, if you believe, and the word believe and faith are interchangeable. If you believe that there is one God, say one God, you do well. The devils believe and tremble. So if you, you can believe in historical facts, you can have faith in historical facts, but that's demon faith. That's the kind of faith that demons have. So any of you today in this place, all you have is mental acceptance of Jesus, that's not faith. If all you have is mental acceptance of the historical facts, what you have is the same faith that demons have. And demons aren't saved. Okay? Uh, number two, it is not presumption. Faith is not presumption. Now let me explain to you what presumption is. Presumption is to take for granted it is supposing to be true without proof. And it means to be arrogant, insolent, overconfident, and to take liberties. That's Psalm 19, 12 through 13. So again, presumption is to take for granted, supposing something to be true without proof. It is to be arrogant, insolent, overconfident, and to take liberties. Now, example of this, presumptuous faith, which is not faith at all, it's an imitation of faith. Woo, help me, Jesus. I love y'all, by the way. Y'all all right? I know I get this look and you go, but I do love you. But I want to tell you this. Presumption is imitation to true faith. Let me say it again. Presumption is imitation faith. 
Okay? Now, the Bible tells us that Israel crossed the Red Sea, and when they crossed the Red Sea, they did it by faith. They got a word from God, and they received that word from God and responded to the word of God, and they crossed the Red Sea as a response to the word of God by faith. But here comes Pharaoh and his armies. And they have imitation faith. It's called presumptuous, presumptuous faith. They did not cross or try to cross the Red Sea based on a word that God gave them. They crossed the Red Sea trying to imitate faith. And the Bible says they drowned. So let's go over to Hebrews chapter 11. Amen, you with me? Okay, Hebrews 11, verse 29. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land. It's talking about Israel. They did it by faith, Correct which the Egyptians, as saying to do, were drowned. So when the Egyptians imitated Israel's faith and they started making their way across the Red Sea, they were drowned because they, they were not crossing the Red Sea based on the word that God gave them. They crossed the sea in presumption supposing something to be true, overconfident imitation of true faith. So there are people, you will hear them, they're living in sin. They're living an ungodly life and they'll talk to you about, I have faith. No, you don't. You are presuming something to be true about yourself. You are overconfident. You don't have a word from God that you're responding to and believing in that causes you to do a certain thing. You can do things without a word of God that looks like faith, but it's not faith at all. It's imitation. Praise the Lord, church. Are you all awake here? Woo! I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be overconfident. I don't want to presume. I don't want to, the definition here, Take liberty. I don't want to be uh, arrogant when it comes to uh, God, the things of God. I don't want to take for granted, supposing to be true without proof. Correct? You with me? And so we've already talked about presumption a little bit. But anyway, faith is not presumption. Faith is believing in the word of the Lord. It's not doing what you want to do and call it faith. Okay? One will get you across the Red Sea, get you through the Red Sea on the other side. One will get you drowned. So, but I got faith. No, you don't. You have presumption. You have presumed something to be true and you have no proof. It's an imitation faith. Faith is not uh, natural. Say natural. Natural faith, if you want to call it. Faith is not natural, but if you want to call it that natural faith, 
is when you trust in yourself. Natural faith. It trusts in your senses, how you feel. Well, I felt, I thought, what did God say? I felt, I thought, that's natural faith. I saw other people. Natural faith. So natural faith, or faith that is natural, is going by the senses. It's going, it's going by self. It's putting faith in self, looking at other people, what they're doing. Amen. Do you understand what your pastor's saying? It's it's you are coming to conclusions based on your own reasoning ability. Well, I reason this is the right approach. This is the way I see it. This is what I think we should do. I'm seeing other people do it. You're walking in natural faith. Are y'all here today? Okay. I'm trying to help you. See, a lot of times we're maybe doing things in life and uh, we're, we think it's faith, but it's imitation faith. It's presumption. It's not based on the Word of God. We are walking by natural faith based on what other people are doing, what we see, what we think, how we reason something out. That will get you killed. It'll kill you. You understand? Because natural faith is not... True faith. Because it's based on what you see in the physical, in the natural. You're going by natural reasoning ability. True faith responds to the invisible. True faith reaches into the spirit world, the spirit realm. True faith operates in the spirit realm and in the invisible things. It doesn't go by what it sees. It doesn't go by how it feels. It doesn't go by what it sees other people doing. It doesn't go by its own natural reasoning ability. It goes by the Word of God. Amen? See, there's a lot of people that go by the words of other people. No, what does the Bible say? Say praise the Lord. Now, hallelujah. So I can tell by the way I'm talking and preaching this morning, by the way you're responding, is it's pinpointing you. Because, amen, have you ever been there? You thought, well, I'm walking by faith, and it was nothing but imitation faith. And I'm walking by faith, it wasn't nothing but natural faith. You ever been there? Right? Just how about historical faith? Historical faith. You believe what Jesus did in the past and, and you believe what He's going to do in the future, but what about present faith? Most, a lot of people live in historical faith. They believe that the Holy Ghost is poured out on the day of Pentecost. They believe Jesus is coming back in the second coming. They believe in historical faith, but they don't have faith for themselves in this hour. So then you just have mental faith. So are we walking in mental faith? Are we walking uh, in historical faith? Are we walking in presumption? Or are we walking in natural faith? Or are we really walking in true faith? And I'll explain to you true faith in just a moment. Praise the Lord. So in conclusion on the natural faith, um, Hebrews chapter 11, we're there, so look at verse 1. 
Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen are not made of things which do appear. Right? We're not going by the natural. These things that are natural came from, as the Bible says, were not made of things which do appear. So we're not putting our faith in ourself. We don't have faith in ourselves or our abilities. Okay? That's to be egotistical and that, that makes you become your own savior. What is faith then? If it's not mental faith, if it's not presumptuous, if it's not natural, then what is true faith? The Greek word is pistos. It means to trust, to have confidence in another's words. In this case, the Word of God. Faith includes baptism in water in the name of Jesus and being filled with the Holy Ghost. Belief and faith are the same Greek words. You with me? Faith then is trust, confidence in another's word. It means literally to obey His word. It means to totally surrender to the Lord. Okay? So then true faith is we are putting our confidence and our trust and our belief in the Word of Jesus Christ, in the Word of God. Okay? And it is a total surrender of our life. A total surrender to His Word and obeying of His Word. That's faith. You with me here? Okay. Um, faith, let's go to Acts 16, 31. Remember in the book of Acts when the Philippian jailer the Bible says the apostles told them to believe, right? Verse 31, they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. So when they said believe, that means have faith. So it's a totally surrender to Him. Obey Him. Okay? Trust in His Word. Uh, and they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto them the word of the Lord and to all that were in the house, His house. And He took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and was baptized he in all his straight way. So when you have true faith in the Lord, there's a total surrendering of your life to God, a, a believing and obeying of the Word of God to the point that you are water baptized in the name of Jesus. And we know they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost because there was great joy in the house. We've already had the established doctrine in the mouth of two or three witnesses. So Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, it's already an established doctrine by the time you get to Acts 16. How a person gets saved. They have faith in God. Complete and total surrender. Obey His Word. Repent. Be baptized in His name. Be filled with the Holy Ghost. It's already an established doctrine. So when you get to Acts 16, you know exactly how the man was saved. When the Word of God was preached to him, he, listen, he trusted that Word. He believed that Word that was spoken to him. And then he responded to that Word by obeying that Word and being born again. Okay? That's true faith. Faith is a spiritual sense. Psalm 34, verse 8. Revelation 2, verse 11. It is a spiritual sense. You have five senses. Right? 
natural senses, five senses. But faith is a spiritual sense. It's, it's, it's not a natural, it's not a physical sense. It's a spiritual sense. It's how you ex receive things from the Lord. Okay? Praise God. Uh, and then we have faith toward God through Jesus Christ. Acts, what was it, twenty twenty one, right? Correct? And then the source is the Word of God. So Romans 10, 17. Let's go there. Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing. What? By the Word of God. So faith cometh by hearing and hearing the Word of God. The Word there is rhema. But I'm not going to get into that. So faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. You get it? So there's a complete total surrender and believing in the words of God. The words of Jesus Christ. And then we respond to those words by faith. We believe it and we obey His Word. Everybody understand that? Okay. It includes... Let's go to Romans 10. Again, we're there. 10, 9, and 10. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart. There's that word believe. That's faith. Believe in thine heart. It's more than mental. It's more than in the head. It's in the heart. And shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Do you see that? Now the context, if we were going through the book of Romans, the context of where it says here, uh, Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. The whole context is baptism. It's a baptismal context. So true confession is not just saying, Jesus, I accept you as my Savior. That's mental faith. That's not true faith. True faith then is when you make a confession of faith, a confession of faith is that you believed in the finished work of Jesus Christ, but that confession of faith includes being water baptized in His name and being filled with the Holy Ghost. The whole context of Romans chapter 10 is a baptismal service. Okay? So it includes... Um, Baptism, Acts 2.38, Acts 8, Acts, Acts 10, Acts 19, uh, John 3, 5 through 8. How do you believe? When do you believe? Well, you repented of your sins, so you believe, correct? In the finished work of Jesus. But when did you become a believer? When you were water baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. That's when you became a believer. So it includes, again, the new birth. Now, there's degrees of faith. Some people have no faith. Mark 4. No faith. Say no faith. How many of y'all have faith this morning? True faith. Mark 4.40. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? No faith. Anyway, I'm not going to go through all of these, read them all, but uh, Mark 4.40, no faith. 
Mark 8, 26, little faith. Romans 14, 1, weak faith. James 2, 17, dead faith. 1 Corinthians 15, 14, vain faith. That means empty faith. Luke 7, 9, great faith. Acts eleven twenty four fullness of the faith. Colossians two five steadfast faith. James two five rich in faith. First Timothy one five un unfeigned faith. Romans four nineteen through twenty strong faith. And then Romans twelve. 3 through 6, a measure of faith. Right? Okay. So there's degrees of faith. And your faith is not a one-time thing. Faith must be maintained by the believer. You must continue in the faith. So you must maintain the faith as a believer. Alright? You continue in Jesus. Look at Hebrews 12. Continue in the faith. Or maintain your faith. You pray for your pastor in this in this hour. I have a great challenge ahead of me. Great challenge. Hebrews twelve one. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience. The race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So Hebrews chapter 11, Paul, and I believe it was Paul that wrote Hebrews. Paul gives you what we would call the heroes of faith. And how these heroes of faith responded in the words of another God. And as they responded in the words of God with total surrender and total confidence and total trust in His Word, those heroes of faith did things as a result of their faith. And after He gets through talking about these heroes of true faith, then He says to us, using them as an example, we are to continue. We are to look unto Jesus. So how, how do we maintain our faith? It's by continuing are looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Now, Lord willing, next Sunday I'll talk to you about the difference between regeneration and adoption. Regeneration is how you get in the family of God. Adoption is when you become a mature son. Okay? There's a big difference. So when you get born into the family of God, that's regeneration. You're a little baby. But adoption is when you grow up in Him, which is the head, even Christ. Okay? So you receive the spirit of adoption, but that doesn't mean you're a full-grown son yet. And the purpose of receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost is so that you and I can become full-grown sons. Okay? So we'll talk about that next week, not, not today. But the point being is this, is that you and I have to maintain our faith as a believer. It's an ongoing thing where we ongoing looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. 
We're born again, regenerated, but the finishing of our faith is adoption. It's where we grow up and we become mature sons. And that's the goal that God has for all of us. So we receive the spirit of adoption, but that doesn't mean that we are yet there. That's the purpose of the Spirit, is to bring us to a place of, of maturity in our faith. We'll talk about that next uh, Sunday, Lord willing. But as we go on and maintain our faith, we continue to look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, and we are maturing from being a little babe in Christ all the way into full sons. That's a process. It's a lifetime. Habakkuk 2 verse 4. Let's go over to the minor prophet Habakkuk. You must and I must maintain faith. It's not a one-time thing. Habakkuk, where's that at? Hosea, Jonah, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Nahum. It's after Nahum. Habakkuk. Then Zephaniah. You find Zephaniah, you're pretty close. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Or it can be literally translated, the just shall live by faith, right? It can be translated, by faith the just shall live. By faith the just shall live. So this teaches you that faith is not a one-time experience. It's, it's by, you're gonna, by faith you're gonna live. You're gonna live by faith. It's an ongoing maintain of faith. Okay, praise the Lord. And then we have, after must be maintained, we have assurance. We have assurance of salvation. Now, when you're really walking in true faith, and I'm really walking in true faith biblically, and I'm maintaining that faith, and I'm living by faith, where I'm totally surrendered, totally confident in God, and I'm obeying His Word, responding to His Word, amen, then that's when you have assurance. Okay, it's assurance of salvation. Assurance means free from doubt. It means a firm mind. It is an inner knowledge that God has forgiven me in Christ Jesus. Right? Now, in order to have that assurance, though, let's go to 1 John. Again, without doubt, to have a firm mind, an inner knowledge that God has forgiven us, but there has to be a witness. We have a witness, 1 John. Chapter 5. Okay, just turn over there. That's the New Testament. You know that. I'm saying it for my sake. 1 John, chapter 5. Verse 1. I'll give you time to get there. Okay, first John five one. Whosoever believeth, again believing in faith is the same same thing, that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. Number one, 
By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His what? Commandments. And this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not grievous. And whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So you know and I know when we're maintaining faith is when we're overcoming the world. Amen? So then to walk by faith is to overcome the world, but it is to what? We have the witness here. See, that I, you have the witness and I have the witness of faith in our life that is true faith. How do I know? How do I know I'm walking in faith? Because I keep His commandments. See, we start, if we stop obeying His commandments, keeping His commandments, we lose the testimony that we're walking in faith. Because true faith, what testifies to me that I'm walking in true faith is that I keep His commandments. Okay? Say praise the Lord. So the first test is the Word of God. Right? Let's go a little further. Keep His commandments. Verse 17, same chapter. All right unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin unto death. Now we'll talk about that in just a moment. What is the sin unto death? We'll talk about that. We know, verse 18, verse John 5, we know that whosoever is what born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. Y'all believe that? If you believe it, say praise the Lord. Okay. You're going to keep yourself, right, in your walk with God. That's maintaining faith. Praise the Lord. Okay. Go up to verse 8. So you're going to keep yourself, you're going to obey His commands. The Word of God then is a test that you're walking in true faith. And then verse 8, And there are three that bear witness in the earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God which we, which He hath testified of His Son. You with me? So what is the witness of God then? Okay. I know that I'm walking in true faith. You know that you're walking in true faith if you're keeping the commandments of the Lord. Number one, that's the test. Number two is, the other witness here is the Spirit of God. So number one, the Word of God. Number two, you have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That is the witness of God that you are walking in faith. You have the Spirit. You with me? And then it goes on and says, now we're, you have the Holy Ghost, right? And then we have the Spirit or the witness of the water. So if you've been water baptized in Jesus' name, that's a witness to true faith. Okay, I have that witness. I've been water baptized in His name. I have the witness. I've been filled with the Holy Ghost. It's a witness. It's the witness of God. It's the proof 
that lets you know if you're a true believer or not. You keep His commandments. You have the Spirit. You have water. And He says, and the blood, the blood of Jesus. And the blood is applied to you in water baptism. Okay? So do you have the witness of God today? Do you keep His commandments? Amen? If you do, then you're a true believer. Do you have the witness of the water? Do you have the witness of the Spirit? Do you have the witness of the blood? That is the witness of God. That lets you know if you are walking in true faith. Okay? Now, Acts 24, 16. So we talked about four things, right? Keep the commandments. You have the Spirit. You have the water. You have the blood of Jesus in your life. The fifth thing is you have a clean conscience. Acts 24, 16. Paul says this, And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscious void of offense toward God and toward men. So, a clean conscience is a proof or a test that you're a true believer. And then the Christian life. 1 John 3.10 If you're living a Christian life, Go back to John, first John three, please. In this the children of God are what? Manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother, correct? So if you are a child of God, then you are going to live as a Christian. You can't live an unrighteous life, an ungodly lifestyle, and still claim to be a Christian. Okay? He, he's The verse before that, he said, if you sin, sin is of the devil. So, we have the proof, don't we? We have the test. We have assurance. What is it? Number one, we keep His commandments. Number two, we have His Spirit. We have water, baptism. We have the blood. We have a pure conscience, clean conscience. And then finally, our Christian life is a manifestation that we are truly walking in biblical faith. With me? Okay. Now we're going to talk about the perseverance of the saints. There's two ways that people interpret the perseverance of the saints. Okay, number one is unconditional, eternal security. Unconditional, eternal security. Which means, interpreted unconditional, eternal security means irresistible grace. That no matter how a person lives, they cannot lose their salvation. Now, you would, you would be surprised how many people in the, in the church right now sitting in this church believe that. They won't say it, but they believe it. They believe that they can live any way they want to and not lose their salvation. Again, unconditional eternal security is what 
one view of the perseverance of the saints is that you can't lose your salvation. And I'll give you just a couple of scriptures that they that um, people base that on. I said base it on. Doesn't mean that the scripture's teaching it. But they base it on uh, these scriptures. John 17, 12, John 10, 27 through 30. Okay? Unconditional eternal security, irresistible grace. You can live how you want to in sin and still be saved. Is that biblical or not? Well, that doctrine focuses totally on the sovereignty of God. That you're, the sovereignty of God, no matter what you do, God is going to save you. And even though you live wrong and you resist His grace, He's still going to save you even if you resist His grace. He's still going to save you even if you don't persevere. Which basically, the unconditional eternal security is this. You can leave God, leave the church, and you're still saved. You can go out into that world, you can live in sin, but God's going to save you anyway. Okay. That's one view. The second view on the perseverance of the saints is it's conditional. Conditional. And the condition is the perseverance of the saints. So let's define that. Let's see. You with me here? When we talk about conditional security, is to teach a believer can, can lapse into a period of backsliding. And unless they return to the Lord, apostasy. Okay? Again, conditional is a believer can lapse into a period of backsliding and unless they return to the Lord, they will go further and the next step is apostasy, and then from there be eternally lost. Now, I'm going to give you a lot of Scripture this morning that teach that. That teach a believer can lapse into a period of backsliding which leads to apostasy if they don't return to the Lord, and that apostasy leads to eternal lost, to being eternally lost. Okay, you with me? Philippians chapter 2. Now, this one then is focused on human responsibility. Well, what is the truth? Is it God's sovereignty or is it human responsibility in the perseverance of the saints? They work together. See, you, you can't neglect the, the sovereignty of God in this are you with me? If you do, all you have is, is legalism, human effort, if you neglect the sovereignty of God. But if you neglect human responsibility, you have a false doctrine. So they have, you have to have both together. You have to believe in the sovereignty of God and human responsibility to be biblical in the teaching of perseverance of the saints. Let's look and see what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2.
in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, we have both of these streams. The sovereignty of God and human responsibility in the verse. We need God and we need human responsibility. Okay? Philippians 2, are you there? Verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Okay, so what we have here is both of those meeting together. God working in you to do what? To fulfill. Alright, worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. So here we go. We've got both streams. We've got human responsibility and we've got God working in the believer. Now, the word persevere, let me give you what that means. It means, persevere means to preserve. It means to persist. It means to continue in a state of grace. Right? John 8, 31. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. But he said, you have to continue in his word if you continue in His Word, then you're my disciple. So perseverance of the saints, again, means to preserve or to continue in the state of grace. Amen. Alright. It says this. Here's what the Bible, this is what the Bible says. Everybody understand we have two streams. It's God working in you and it's to accomplish His purpose and will in your life. That's human responsibility. Now, so, we must continue, we must persevere, we must preserve. Uh, it says in Acts 14.22, continue in the faith. It says in Acts 13.43, continue in grace. In John 15.9, it says continue in the love of Christ. In Romans 11.22, it says continue in His goodness. In Colossians 4, verse 2, continue in prayer. 1 Peter 1, 5, continue in the faith. John 8, 31, if you continue in my word. 1 John 2, 24, continue in the Father and the Son. If you have the Father, if you have the Son, you have the Father also. But you continue in the Son. 1 John 2, 24. Acts 2.42 says, Continue in... Everybody look at me, please. Continue in the apostles' doctrine. And then John 15.1-10, Continue in the vine. So the Scripture is very clear when it comes to the perseverance of the saints that it's God working in and through us, but we have a human responsibility to continue or to persevere. Now, real fast again, continue in what? I'll give it to you. Continue in the faith. 
Continue in grace. Continue in the love of Christ. Continue in the goodness of God. Continue in prayer. Continue in faith. Continue in the Word. Continue in the Father and the Son. Continue in the Apostles' doctrine and continue in the vine. So the Bible is very clear that you and I as believers must persevere. We must continue. Okay. Now, if unconditional eternal security is correct then, then why does the Bible warn so strongly, give us such strong warning against backsliding? If to backslide, you know, and to live in sin does not have any consequence to it. If you're secure in Christ unconditionally, and you don't need to persevere or continue in Him, then why does the Bible give such severe warning against backsliding? The prophet Jeremiah, 13 times in his prophecy, he uses the word backslide or backslider. Hosea, the prophet Hosea, uses it a minimum of three times in the Old Testament. So and, and listen carefully, church. When God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah and warned against backsliding, and He spoke through the prophet Isaiah, Hosea and He warned against backsliding, He wasn't speaking to the unbeliever. He was speaking to His chosen nation, Israel. Get this. You can't backslide if you're not a believer. The message of God through Jeremiah, the message of God through Hosea was not to the unbeliever. It was to His chosen people. Giving them and giving us a warning against backsliding. The dangers of backsliding can only apply to the believer, church. It cannot apply to the unbeliever. The word to backslide in the Hebrew means to turn back or to turn away. It means to be stubborn. It means to withdraw. And in times it means apostasy. So if you and I are turning back, if we're turning away, if we're withdrawing, withdrawing, there's people that come to church and you, man, they're so withdrawn. And you say you're backslid. No, I'm not backslid. Yes, you are. If you have withdrawn, if you've turned away, turned your back on, you are backslidden or backsliding. Say amen. Because that's what the word of the Hebrew means. To turn back or away or to withdraw. Hallelujah. Help me, God. To apostatize. And again, in Hosea and Jeremiah, it's spoken to the chosen nation of Israel. It's a warning. And we don't have time to look at all those verses. But get your concordance and look them up. In the New Testament, the word backslide or backslider is not used. The word but 
equivalent terms are used. Okay? So if we look at the definition of backsliding, to turn away, okay, to turn back, to withdraw, apostasy, then we have in the New Testament, even though the word is not used, the equivalent terms to backsliding. Alright, you with me? Now once again, if it... <laughs> If we are securing Christ no matter what we do, we can backslide and still be saved. Then why is there such a severe warning in the Old Testament and the New Testament against it? In the New Testament, the equivalents are used. The Bible says, Matthew 24 and verse 12, He warns us in the last days. He says, Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall grow cold. The word backsliding is not used there, but when he talks about your love. Are y'all here with me? If your love is waning, if your love for Him is fading, it's the same thing as backsliding. Are y'all here today? In the book of Revelation, he, he speaks to the church of Ephesus. He warns the church of Ephesus uh, against losing their first love. Why would he say that if, if we are unconditionally, eternally secure in him? Why would he warn us in the Old Testament and the New Testament about losing our first love or, or our love growing cold, waning? We trust God's Spirit. The love of God is shed abroad uh, in our hearts by the Holy Ghost as we yield to the Spirit of God. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, but you and I still have a responsibility according to the book of Jude. The Bible says in the book of Jude, keep yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself in the love of God. If I don't keep myself in the love of God, if I don't walk in the Spirit and let the Spirit of God Shed abroad in my heart by His Spirit, love. Amen? Then I am backslidden. So, so this morning, this church, this pastor, to you today, do you still love Him like you used to? Or is your love waning? Is it fading? Is it going cold? Because of rebellion that's in the world. A rebellion that's in you. He warns us in the New Testament in the last days that there's going to come this waning of love. Your love growing cold. He didn't say backsliding, but the same thing. In Luke 9, 62, 17-32, these verses, Jesus makes one statement. He says, if you put your hands to the plow and you turn back, you look back, you're not worthy to be in the kingdom of God. If it's not important for you and I to persevere and to continue, why would He say that if you put your hands to the plow and you look back, you're not worthy of the kingdom of God? Why would He give us a warning in the 17th chapter of Luke? He brings out Lot and his wife and their daughters out of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And the Bible says, Lot's wife looked back. She looked back. She withdrew. She looked back and probably turned back. Well, I know she turned back. I know she looked back. She might have even went back. The Bible tells us, the Lord warns us, remember Lot's wife. He's not saying that to the unbeliever. He's saying that to the believer. Remember Lot's wife. Don't turn back. She turned back. She turned into a pillar of salt. He said that to the believer. I can't, I've got my hands to the plow. I can't be looking back. I can't be like Lot's wife. Turn back and look because my heart's in Sodom. My heart's in the world. Same results will come to you and come to me. If we turn back, we'll be judged by God. Amen? She was turned into a pillar of salt. Severe warning of the Lord. To who? To the believer. 1 Timothy 1, 18-19. Paul says to Timothy, he says, there is some that have made shipwreck the faith. They've made a shipwreck out of their faith. Now, if you and I don't need to worry about making our faith shipwreck, we're talking about faith here. They made their faith a shipwreck. Write them down, read them. Why would Peter say in 2 Peter chapter 2, 20 through 22, he talked about believers. Listen carefully, church. If you read, I don't have time to read it to you, but he talks about believers. He said they knew the way of righteousness. He's not talking to people that don't know the way of righteousness. He was speaking to people that know the way of righteousness. And he says this about them. They knew the way of righteousness. But he said, let me give you an illustration. They knew the way of righteousness. But like the, the pig, the sow, they returned to their wallowing in the mire. They went back to the mud, to the dirt, to the filth of sin wallowing in the mire. And he says to the vomit of the dog. They knew the way of righteous. But they went back to the mud. They went back to the vomit. Now, if it's not important, if we don't need to persevere and continue in our faith, then why such strong warning from God through Peter that says, don't be like the pig that goes back to your mud. Don't be like the dog that goes back to its vomit. God threw me, yes. But I have a human responsibility. I'm depending on God. But I have to continue. I have to persevere. They knew the way of truth. Hebrews 10, 38-39, when you have time. Paul says this, he says, We are not as those that draw back, draw back unto perdition. He says, you can draw back to perdition. 
Some of y'all interpreting that is correct. Destruction. If you and I draw back, you know where we were going to end? We're going to end in perdition. We're going to end in destruction. But Paul says we are not as those who draw back. Are you hearing me today? If you can draw back, if you can backslide and still be saved, then why would God say, why would God through Paul say, we are not as those that draw back unto perdition? Are y'all with me? In John 15 through 2 through 6, he talks about branches. Branches. These branches were connected to the vine. The vine is Jesus Christ. The believer is the branch. But he said what he's going to do with branches that don't produce fruit. That's you or I. If I'm not producing fruit, he said he'll take you and cast you into the fire. I think you understand why your pastor preaches like he does. Because if you know what the Bible says, every time we come to the house of God, there's a watchman on the wall that's standing up to the church and saying, don't draw back. Don't backslide. Don't lose your love for God. Don't withdraw. We haven't made it yet. We're not in heaven yet. I'm not there. Amen? Somebody say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So branches that don't produce fruit are going to be cut off and cast into the fire. And you think about that. And Jesus talked about the purging of the branch. You know what He's talking about? Number one, to purge the branches, you've got to pick it up out of the dirt. If you've got a vine and you've got branches, those branches, those grapevines like to get in the dirt. And so what the farmer does, the husband and husbandman does, he goes and he picks up the branches out of the dirt and literally washes them with soap and water. And then he prunes every branch. So it will continue to produce fruit. So as a believer, there's times when God's cutting on me and God's cutting on you. And it don't feel good when He's cutting on us. But He's cutting on us so that we can produce fruit. And He picks me up out of the dirt and gives me a good washing and a good cleaning. So that I will continue to abide in Him. Continue to produce fruit in my life. Yeah, it's the power of God in me, but I have a human responsibility to produce fruit. And the fruit He's talking about, what kind of fruit, Pastor? If I'm not producing fruit, what kind of fruit is He talking about? If I, that I'm not producing, I'll be cut down and cast in the lake of fire. Well, you have the fruits unto holiness. If you're not living a holy life, there's fruits unto holiness. If I'm not producing the fruits of holiness in my life, if I, what other fruit can you produce? Other saints. As I win people to God, I'm producing fruit. There's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. He's looking for fruit in my life. He's looking for the fruits of holiness. He's looking for the fruits of unbelievers. He's looking for the fruits of the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit in my life. And without that, He said, I'll cut you off and cast you into the fire. I need to be full of the Holy Ghost. 
I need to pray through till I fall to the Holy Ghost. And as He does His work through me, of cutting me, cleaning me, you'll see holiness of life. You will see the fruit of the Spirit. You'll see other people. As a result of your faith, as a result of your walk with God, you will see other people in the kingdom of God. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. In 2 Peter 1, 4, 2 Peter 1, 9 through 10, he tells us if we continue in certain graces, Christian graces, that we will not fail or fall. Amen. Hebrews 1 4, or 2 Peter 1 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You with me? Beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, to temperance patience, to patience godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind, cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. If we don't continue in these Christian virtues, we will fall. If you continue in these Christian virtues and understand you've been delivered from the corruption of this world, and you walk in these Christian virtues, you don't have to worry about falling. But if I don't, and you don't, church, I'm preaching to myself, if I don't, and you don't, continue in these virtues, that means we will fall. Hebrews 2 and verse 3. How shall we escape? How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Salvation can be neglected. If I neglect it, I won't escape. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Amen. Say praise the Lord, church. Matthew seven fifteen through 27. Now you all remember the story. Jesus talked about how are you going to know if somebody's true or not? By their fruits you shall know them. You can tell by looking at the fruits of ministry. You can tell by looking at the fruits of a, a person's life as to whether or not they are true or not. By their fruits ye shall know them. And he says in that very passage, he says, many, in that day, many will stand before me and say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done many wonderful works? And He will say to them, Depart from Me, ye lawless ones! Depart from Me, 
Ye that work iniquity, the word is, is antinomianism. They are involved in a lawless Christianity. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, for I never knew you. Let me say this to you. This does not apply to the unbeliever. It applies to those who said, Lord, Lord. It applies to those who cast out demons. Are y'all with me? Who prophesied. Who did many wonderful works. It doesn't apply to the unbeliever. It applies to the believer. Who were lawless. Say amen, church. I don't want to stand before him on that day. And say, Lord, that I thought grace, I thought redemption. Let me tell you something. Grace and redemption does not exempt you from obedience. And if there be any man in America, and there are, that stand up in pulpits this morning and preach to congregations and tells them grace without obedience is acceptable, they are liars. My redemption and the grace of God does not exempt me from obeying His commands. So what He's basically saying in Matthew chapter 7, by their fruits you shall know them. He's telling you and I, church, so you can understand it. He's saying, depart from me ye that work iniquity, for I never knew you. Let me bring it to you where you can understand. No holy living. He's talking, brothers and sisters, He's talking to people who would not live holy. No holy living? Depart from Me. Because you work lawlessness. In the Old Testament, give you examples. You'll have to read them on your own. Examples of believers. The possibility of being blotted out of the book of life. Not the world. We know the world's going to be blotted out of the book of life. But believers. The possibility of a believer being blotted out of the book of life. Exodus 32, 30-33. Revelation 3, verse 5. Revelation 20, verse 6. Revelation 20, 14 through 15. Revelation 21, verse 8. Revelation 22, 18 through 19. The book of Revelation, church, is written to the church. It's not written to the world. When he goes and he uses Old Testament examples, are you with me right now? He uses them as warnings for us to not follow in those footsteps because if we do, our names will be blotted out of the book of life. Revelation 21 and 8. Revelation 22. He talks about people that are not going to be in the heavenly city. He's not saying that to the world. He's saying it to the church. You can and I can be blotted out of the Lamb's book of life if I don't continue. And how is it, God help me today to preach, how is it that you and I could ever condone sin, condone lifestyles in your family members 
that you know are lifestyles against the Word of God, how could you ever condone that? Without believing the doctrine of unconditional eternal security. Unrepented sin with the possibility and the danger of having your name blotted out of the book of life. You must have a zeal and a fire of truth that's in you, of faith that's in you, that will say no to sin. You put your approval, I put my approval on it. I could be lost. Brother Dice told me, I was talking to him before he passed away. I said, you know, Brother Dice, there's just certain people I can't, I cannot marry. I, now, I can't officiate the service. I just can't do it. In all good conscience, I can't do it, Brother Dice. He said, if you do, you'll go to hell. Now, my friend, I'm going to tell you something. That stuck with me. You put your approval on relationships. You put your approval on things in your family. Then really what you're doing is saying, Lord, I don't believe your word. And if you do that, you could be in danger of going to hell. I said, I can't do it, Brother Dice. He said, that's right. You'll go to hell if you do. Not only the people you're, you're doing the uh, ceremony for are going to go to hell, but so are you. You understand what, we're, what, I, what I'm preaching to you this morning? God have mercy. And then we have in the New Testament, the, aside from the Old Testament examples, we have Judas Iscariot. The Bible says he left his apostleship. And went to his own place. Judas was an apostle. He was chosen of the Lord. He was elected of God. And when he left that, the Bible says he went to his own place. You know what that is? That's perdition. It's hell. Old Testament example. New Testament examples. A people whose names were blotted out of the book of life. Acts 1, 18-22, along with Psalm 69, 25-28, talks about Judas Iscariot. You can be a preacher and still go to hell. You can be a pastor, an apostle, and still go to hell. You can claim to be called to preach and still go to hell. We have to persevere. We have to continue in the faith. Romans 11, 16. I'm not going to read it all to you, but Romans 11, 16. Read, read it when you have time for it. Romans 11, 16 through 26. 
He talks about, Behold the goodness and the severity of God. The goodness. He said, look at it. He said, don't just see. Look at the goodness of God. Behold the goodness and the severity of God. Goodness to you if you continue. If you continue, you'll experience the goodness of God. But if not, the severity of God. If He cut off the branches. He, you with me? The branches of Israel that were in unbelief. He said, don't think He won't cut you off too. If He cut off Israel because of their unbelief, He's telling the church there, don't think He won't be severe with you. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank God for the truth. Thank God for the truth. Thank God for it. I thank God for it. I thank God for it. It'll keep me from lying to myself. And to others. So then, these verses that teach us in Old Testament and New Testament against the dangers of backsliding then, the warnings against them, severe, teach us that we are not unconditionally eternally secure. Backsliding leads you to apostasy. Now listen to me carefully, church. The prophet Jeremiah, the prophet Hosea in the Old Testament, the apostles in the New Testament, uh, warning us against backsliding. What did they do? They called the people of God, not the world, but the people of God to return to Him. They called the people of God to repentance. Which means if a person backslides, the good news, if you're backslidden, you can return. You can repent if you're backsliding, if you're withdrawing, if you're drawing back, if you're turning away. If you are backsliding, backslidden, you can return. You can repent. And if you do thoroughly repent and you return back to God, God will forgive you. Amen. But remember this, while a person is in a backslidden state, look at Luke the 15th chapter. The terms are used like lost and dead. As long as a person is backslidden, they are lost and they are dead. But if like the prodigal son says, I will arise and go to my father. And when I get there, I will say, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Make me as one of the hired servants. Then there's going to be great celebration and rejoicing. Hallelujah. Because the backslider, the prodigal has returned home. Give the Lord praise in this house. And when they return home and they truly repent, it's not, not just, you know, the false repentance or false faith, but they truly repent of their sins. Then the church is supposed to celebrate. The church is supposed to rejoice.
the fact that one that was lost is found. One that was dead is now made alive again. We're not to have the spirit of the elder brother. If they repent, and that is, well, I'm better than you are because I didn't, I didn't backslide. We're glad you're repenting. We're glad you made it back home. As long as it's true repentance, it's not phony and fake. Give God praise in the house. As long as there's proof of repentance, there's meat, to, there's meat, there's proof there. You can see the proof of repentance in their life. It's not just words, it's real. Then the church is to rejoice and celebrate and thank God that the backslider has returned. But if the backslider does not return to the Lord Jesus Christ, the backslider will move into apostasy. And apostasy is something that cannot be repented of. You can return from a backslidden condition but you cannot return from an apostate condition. There's no repentance in apostasy. There's no turning back in apostasy. Because you have crossed the line. And God's grace and God's love reached out for you and His Word came to you and prophets came to you and people came to you and the providence of God and life came to you. But you refused to humble yourself and repent. And you keep doing that, you keep saying no to God, you will move into a place called apostasy and you cannot come back. It's not that God wouldn't forgive you if you did. The only reason why you would come back if you've not apostatized. If you go into an apostate condition, which is where backsliding leads you to, you can't repent of that. In the Old Testament, you have a man by the name of Saul that he over a period of time, against the Word of God, against the prophets of the Lord's warnings, Saul sinned against the Lord. Strike one, strike two, strike three, you're out. And Saul went to a place of not just being backsledding, which is a, is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. He went from that state of being backslidden to apostasy. And Saul could not repent. On the other hand, we have a man by the name of David. David was a prodigal. He temporarily went away from the Lord. Temporarily, he backslid. David backslid. But David repented. And God forgave him. One man saw apostate. Another man, David, backslid. One could repent. The other could not. You understand. In the New Testament, Judas Iscariot, apostate, brother Thurman, apostate, could not repent. He only had worldly sorrow and then went and committed suicide because worldly sorrow worketh death. He went and committed suicide. He was an apostate. He could not repent. 
Are y'all with me? As an apostate, he went to hell. But we see another named Peter. Peter backslid. He denied his Lord three times. Was it twice? Three times, thank you. He denied his Lord three times before the cock crowed twice. Peter backslid. But Peter, the Bible says, repented. He repented. He repented with tears. It was real. Judas went to hell. He went to his own place. But Peter, as a backslider, repented back to God. And God forgave Peter and used him to preach on the day of Pentecost. But when a person gets into apostasy, do you see? It's one thing to backslide. And again, the strong warnings against that. That's bad. Because you're lost and dead in that state. How do you know when a person is now apostate? It has it becomes willful rejection. Apostasy means a willful rejection of Jesus Christ. They know what they're doing. It's not that they just want to go into the world. They have now rejected Him. If they cross that line, they cannot repent. To willfully turn away from God It is the sin of Second Thessalonians chapter two, where, where, where Paul, God through Paul, is warning the church in Thessalonica, um, because they did not receive a love for the truth that they might be saved. God will send them a strong delusion that they'll believe the lie and be damned. That statement is to people who have fallen away. In Second Thessalonians chapter 2, he tells us two signs. He said, before Jesus comes back, there shall be a great falling away first. That means apostasy. And then he says, the wicked one will be revealed. The Antichrist. And he explains that again. He says, because they did not receive a love for the truth that they might be saved, God will send them a strong delusion. They will believe the lie. And what? Be damned. Because when they heard the truth, they, they knew the truth, but they didn't love the truth. And so now God sends a delusion on them. They believe the lie, and the result of that is damnation. That's the level. Apostasy is the level that Paul is talking about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It is also the one that John makes reference to when he says there is a sin unto death. That's 1 John 5.16. Look at it. Say 1 John 5.16. Thank you. 1 John 5.16. The good news, you can pray for the person that's backslidden. But they go to this point of apostasy. He said, don't bother praying for them. They can't return. Five sixteen. I'll start with verse 15. And if we know that He hear us whatsoever we ask, we know 
that we have the petitions that we desire of Him. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. But he says there is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. You can pray for people that have backslidden, that have not committed that sin unto death. You can pray for them. And the Lord will hear that prayer and give them life. But if they've moved to a place where they have sinned the sin unto death, He said, don't even bother praying for them. And the reason is because they are apostates. But their backsliding condition moved them to apostasy. Hebrews 6 and verse 6. Hebrews 6 and 6, it says, if they shall fall away. The word to fall away is apostasy. Apostasia in the Greek. Apostasy. If they shall fall away. Apostasize. Apostasia. If they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance. Seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to open shame. He's talking about people who have committed apostasy. He said it's impossible to renew them to repentance. They crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to open shame. Okay. So that is the apostasy is the sin and the death. Apostasy is the place you can't repent. It's a dangerous place to get. That's what backsliding takes you to. And the further a person goes away from God in backsliding, the harder it is for them to get back. Because they're getting closer and closer to apostasy. The, first, the further you get away from God and the closer you get to apostasy, the harder it is to get back. That's why if you do backslide, only take one step. Don't even do that. But just take one step, man, then turn and hit, head straight back to God. But every step you take, every day you live without God, makes it harder and harder for you to make it back to God. So the Scripture is very clear that it is not unconditional. It is conditional with severe warnings against backsliding. And apostasy. There's another Greek word for that is used as translated fall. In the Greek, it's uh, pipto, pipto, which means to trip up. That's used in Hebrews 4 and verse 11. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall. It's a different word after the same example of unbelief. That word means to be tripped up. Listen, every one of us, church, every believer at some point in their life will trip. There's not one of us, your pastor or anybody else in this church, that have not gone through life and not tripped as a believer. But if you get back up, get back up. You may fall, but you get back up. You may trip, but you get back up. Hallelujah. You, you, 
That's not apostasy. That's not apostasy. Because you got back up. Hallelujah. I might have tripped yesterday, but I got back up this morning. Hallelujah. In the mighty name of Jesus. Give the Lord praise. So that person that falls, he gets back up and does what? Continues. He didn't just get back up. Come on, man. You might trip and fall, but don't just get back up and become immobile. Get back up and continue. Amen. God bless your heart. I, a man came, talked to me in the office. He's tripped up in some things, areas of his life. I said, all right, well, Here's what we do. We deal with that. Repent. Turn from that. Go forward. Continue. Hallelujah to the Lamb. It's not over. It's not over if you're sitting in my office wanting help. Or they're coming to my office and, and making excuses and, you know, and trying to cover up and, you know, for their life of, of ungodliness. That's different. But you've got somebody come and say, I need help, Pastor. Repent. Get up. You trip. Continue. Give the Lord praise. But when you continue, you have to believe that God forgave you. And when you continue, you have to get up and you you keep moving. Don't come just sit on the the pew and continue in a backslidden state. Say continue. In closing. What are the causes of backsliding? Biblically. What is the causes of backsliding? Well, number one, not maintain, maintain love for the Lord. Revelation 2, 1 through 7. Again, that warning to the church of Ephesus. He said, you've lost your first love. Repent! If you lost your love, it's because you didn't maintain it. God doesn't lose His love. So if you lost your love for Him, it's because you didn't maintain it. You let it wane. You let it grow cold. So I have to repent. I have to go back. Hallelujah. Mark thirteen thirty three. not watching. He gave us the warning, end time warning, to watch. To watch. If we're not watching... Hallelujah. And, and that, that's where the watchman on the wall comes in again. Is that there's men of God in your life and you may look at them as evil. You may look at them as mean. You may look at them as too restrictive. You may... All of this mess that you want to deal with in your head. But these men, the, they're watchmen on the wall that are, are raised up by God to call you to repent. Ezekiel... Chapter 3, Ezekiel chapter 18, Ezekiel chapter 33, 3, 15 more chapters, 18, 18, 15 more chapters, 33, 3, 18, 33. The watchman on the wall is set by God to call the nation of Israel to repent because He says if they don't repent and they die in their sin, their righteousness will be forgotten. 
everything and anything that they had ever done in the kingdom of God because they went away from the Lord and did not repent. He said, all of that will be forgotten. So the watchman on the wall is standing up calling you to repent. Calling you to change your mind. Calling you to reverse your decision. So you don't backslide. So you don't for sure apostatize. And you can get mad at them. You can get frustrated with them. You can rebel against them. You can cop an attitude toward them. But they have a job to do. And that is to be a watchman on the wall. And they're watching for your souls. And they're watching for your children's souls. And you might not like that. But that's a gift from God to you. So there's the watchman on the wall. Mark 13, 33 talks about watching and the warning. So I have to watch for your souls to warn you, call you. And then you have to watch. You have to be watching. There's something dangerous trying to come into your life. There's, you have to watch the condition of your life, the condition of your soul. Where am I in God today? Because they're not watching. They backslide. Because they lack spiritual fervency. Revelation 3, 14-22 to the church of Laodicea. Are y'all with me today? Woo, I wish I had time to preach that this morning, but I don't. I mean, they had all kinds of wealth and everything else. Abundance and wealth. But they become lukewarm. And he said, because you're lukewarm, he said, I will literally vomit you out of my mouth. Now, I don't know about you today, church, but you might be looking at yourself and thinking you're all right. But I don't look at myself that way. That's why you and I have to maintain a spirit of fervency. You can't get lukewarm. You've got to be on fire this morning. I've got to be on fire this morning. Because if I lose my spiritual fervency and I become lukewarm, the next thing that I'm going to do is to backslide away from God. So i got to keep the fire burning. i got to stoke it. i got to, you know, you you got a fireplace, you see the embers starting to burn out. Man, they're fire. They're starting to burn out. So you just get something, you prod it. Push it around. Get the air to it. Put some more wood on it. Till you got a flame burning again. Amen. You 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 got a little coal burning, just barely barely. You can see it's about to go out. You better get something to prod that. Hallelujah. You, be, you better stir up the gift that is in thee by the laying on the hands of the of the presbytery. You better shake it. You better stir it up. You better prod it. You better put some more wood on it, spiritual wood. You better get on fire. Hallelujah. Because that's why people backslide. And, 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 okay, fine. You want to come and you want to sit there. You just want to sit there. Okay? And you want to call it listening to the Word of the Lord. Good for you. I'm glad you're listening. But if you're not moving in it, 
you know, you know what I'm talking about. I don't know about you, but the only way I can keep the fire burning is to move in it, is to yield to it, is to give myself to that fire. So, anyway, you still are you still on fire? That's what we use the term. Are you, we got to be on fire. Are you still on fire this morning? If I'm not, God's going to spit me out of His mouth. I don't care if I'm a preacher or not. He's going to spew me, vomit me out of His mouth and say, I'm lukewarm. He said, I'd rather you be cold or hot, but not lukewarm. Not tepid, not in the middle. You still have your spiritual fervency? You got to stoke it. Amen. You got to prod it. You got to put some fire on it. You for sure can't give yourself an excuse. Well, my fire is going out. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That's the very thing he's warning against. Somebody say, Praise the Lord. I don't know about you, I need God. This, this, this race, man, this race is getting long. We're getting close to the end of this race, man. I, I gotta do something. Lack of spiritual fervency, Revelation 3, 14 through 22, a lack of obedience to the Word and the Spirit of God. Hebrews 5, 9. Acts 5.32 Amen? Are y'all familiar with that? Hebrew, I mean Hebrews. Hebrews 5.9 um, And being made perfect, He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey Him. Who's going to have eternal salvation? To those that obey Him. So if I stop obeying the Word of the Lord, Acts 5.32, I don't have time to turn there, but I stop obeying the Word of the Lord, then I will backslide. Lack of prayer, Luke 22, 39-46. A lack of prayer. And the neglect of the Word of God. Psalm 1. Amen? Are we still obeying His Word? Are we still praying? Are we neglecting His Word? Yeah. You know, what's interesting is this. When the enemy comes against you, you know, he always comes to the lukewarm and tells them they're okay. He always does. He, he goes to the unbeliever. He tells the unbeliever, you're called to preach. You're called to preach. You're okay. You know, look at all these wackos running and praising God, jumping up and down, climbing on the pews. Don't act like them. Be cool. Do a selfie. 
Well, praise the Lord. I would rather have strange fire than no fire. Now, really, now, I don't want strange fire, but I'd rather have strange fire than no fire. Because I promise you, there's a bunch of wet blankets in the church that'll sure help cool you down. Amen. Get your cameras out. <laughs> I'm cool. The devil told me I'm cool. The devil tells you you're cool. You, no. All I'm saying to you, church, is this. Do not compare yourself with other people. Okay? Or say, well, I'm not as bad as the other one is. No, you're probably worse. At least I'm not like them. Hallelujah. I love it. My son-in-law, he always comes up with good stuff all the time, you know. Anyway. I'm not even going to say it. <laughs> but I haven't made it to heaven yet, man. You know, uh, Whatever you want to call yourself, apostolic, Pentecostal, whatever you want to call yourself, none of us have made it to heaven yet. I'm an apostolic. Good for you. I've seen apostolics have more worse spirit and worse attitude than any Baptist I've ever met. I don't care what you call yourself, Pentecostal, apostolic. That's just a, just, you, you know, handle. You want to call yourself that? No, 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 no. Where am I in God? My relationship with God. Praise the Lord. Can, if we look into your eyes today, can we see a flicker, a flame, a fire, a light, of hope, of victory? Or... <laughs> but you don't know what I'm going through. Oh, okay. So that justifies your hollow look. You used to be on the front row. Now you're getting further and further and further, further to the back. And I'm not saying that necessarily where you sit physically determines your spiritual condition, but a lot of times that tells you where a person is. Brother Mark's back there because it's too loud. And I'm really glad he clarified that for me. Hallelujah. We, he and Brother Thomas and I had a good talk the other night. He said, Pastor Bob, I'm just letting you know I'm back there because it's so loud, you know. Oh, praise the Lord, no problem. Hallelujah. As long as that's the case. Praise the Lord. Somebody say praise the Lord. Yeah. The lack of obedience to the Word of God, lack of prayer, neglect to the Word of God, and then lack of fellowship with the people of God. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Forsake not the assembling of yourself together as the manner of some is, so much more so as you see that day approaching. 
if you start if you stop going to church, if you start forsaking the assembling of yourself with the people of God, that's a cause of backsliding. Now there's not everything, you know, everything's not perfect with the church. Everything's not perfect with the preacher, you know, especially this one. But that doesn't give you an excuse for not coming to church. Okay? Forsaking the assembling of yourself as the manner of some is, that's a warning against that in the Bible. Hebrews 10, 24-25. So they lack fellowship with the people of God. They lack a separation from worldliness and worldly companions. 1 John 2, 15-17. 2 Corinthians 6, 14-18. I will say it again. They lack a separation from worldliness and worldly companions. Okay? And I've had a talk with some, some good people of God in the church. You, you let me just tell you this. You or your kids start hanging around with the world, you are very close to losing them. And I'm not saying that, that you, you know, I'm not saying the Bible doesn't even teach this, that you can't have a friend in the world. The Bible doesn't teach that. But you start hanging around with worldly friends, worldly companions, and worldliness, you will possibly backslide away, away from God. That is a cause for backsliding. So you've got to be careful with, with, your, with your kids, what, who you let them get involved with what you allow them to participate in. What kind of influence? Are they able to handle the influence or not? Or is that the bait that the enemy has put in front of them to pull them right out of the kingdom of God? I'm just saying. I just want to shout it. Wake up! Wake up! Worldliness and worldly companions will cause a person to backslide. Uh, the people quit the church. They'll quit God and quit the church to have a relationship with somebody in the world. And if they quit the church and they don't have a relationship with somebody in the world and they get connected with somebody in the world after quitting the church, how's that going to work? Now it's harder for them to make it back to God because they've got somebody they're connected to that's in the world. I'm going to tell you something, church. You gotta know the danger. Hallelujah. That's why you can't put your approval on every relationship. Can't do it. Will it cause them to be or to remain in a backslidden state? Well, they may go ahead and do it, but not with daddy's approval. Not with mama's approval. And we're not going for the lesser of two evils. 
Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship? Are y'all with me? Does the believer have with the devil and righteousness? The Bible's very clear. Second Corinthians 6 tells us we need to separate ourselves from the world and worldliness. Hallelujah. You cannot be unequally yoked together with the unbeliever. We want to win them. We want to reach them. You can have a friend that's in the world, but win them. Did you hear this? I'll say it again. Some people quit the church to have a worldly companion, to have a relationship in the world. Then some people, after they quit the church, then they get into a worldly relationship. That's dangerous. First John 2, 15 through 17, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18 warns us against not being separated from worldliness and worldly companions. So in closing, we must persevere. We must continue. God working through us as we yield our life to Him and then our responsibility of continuing. Uh, so therefore, that means then that security is not unconditional. Security is conditional. Let me put it to you this way, church. And I know I'm getting long-winded here. I'm aware of that. Forgive me for that. But I can say this. That is impossible. Unconditional security is an impossibility. There is no way you can have security without condition. Security is always connected to a condition. If you don't have law, you don't have security. There must always be a condition to have security. So anybody says, I believe in unconditional eternal security. Number one, that's impossible. Because the only security that you and I have is in obeying the word of the Lord. Security is in obedience. Security is in obeying the law of God, the instructions of God. That's where you find security. It's conditional. Do you understand what I'm telling you? Even before Adam and Eve fell in the garden, their security was conditional. He gave them one law, and that was love and obey. One law. The law of love and obedience to Christ. So even Adam and Eve before the fall, their security was conditional. The security was in their obedience. My security is in my obedience. Your security. I believe in the security of the saint. I believe in that. But not unconditional. So the Bible teaches conditional security. The perseverance of the saints. The security is in obeying His Word and faith in Him. Hebrews 5.19 Redemption does not exempt us from obedience. There is no such thing as unconditional security. Angels fell. Adam and Eve in the garden by disobeying fell. 
Romans 5, 12 through 21. Read that sometime. Eternal life, listen carefully, eternal life is given to the eternally obedient. I'll say it again. Eternal life is given to the eternally obedient. Scriptures, Genesis twenty-two eighteen. You with me still? Twenty-six five, Genesis twenty-six five, Genesis twenty-seven eight, twenty-seven thirteen, Exodus nineteen five, Romans six seventeen, First Peter one fourteen and verse twenty-two, Romans fifteen and verse eighteen. Eternal life is given to the eternally obedient. You only have security in your obedience to Him. So it's conditional. The evidence, John 10. Let's turn there. Almost done. John 10, 27. <clears throat> My sheep hear my voice. Who is his sheep? Those that hear his voice. And I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. You have both the power of God and the responsibility of the believer in that passage. Those two streams flow in together into one stream. Hearing His voice, following Him, He says, I will give them eternal life. None, no one will pluck them out of My hands. So you have God and you have the believer. Those streams converging into one stream in the Bible. Amen? You're not neglecting what God is doing in your life. But neither are you neglecting your responsibility. They converge into one stream. Okay? That's the Bible. Amen? Amen? So it's not just human responsibility. It's not just the sovereignty of God. It's both of them together. In the Bible. As we've seen before, these streams run together. Two streams run together in theology. You with me? So it's a conditional security. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. They hear me, and they follow me. He says, I know them. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. See, a lot of people, they only read that one verse. I give unto them eternal life, they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. That's all they read. And they say that's unconditional eternal security. You have the verse above it that talks about you hearing His voice and you following Him. Novices handling the Word of God. Novices.
Jude 24 through 25. I'll get in the flesh. Uh, you know, praise the Lord. I want to be a preacher of righteousness and not get in the flesh. Man, I don't want to be a cussing preacher. I don't like cussing preachers. It doesn't work the righteousness of God. I mean, what, I'm, what are you saying? I'm saying get in the flesh. I don't want to get in the flesh. But at the same time, I do get disturbed by people who mishandle the Word of God and pick and choose little scriptures here and there and to establish a doctrine that's not even true. Jude 24 through 25. Now unto him that is able to keep you, that's Godward, God's side, from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? That he's able to keep us, right? Verse 25 To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, power, both now and forever. That's God. He's able to keep me from falling. But look at verse 21. Keep yourself in the love of God. So he tells you what you have to do. Keep yourself in the love of God. And then he talks about what he can do. Keep you from falling. Again, those two streams flowing together. So what the Bible teaches us is that we must persevere as saints of God. And it's the heavy warning against backsliding which moves into apostasy, which moves into being blotted out of the Lamb's book of life for eternal damnation. Do you understand today? If you do, say praise the Lord. And I'm going to stop there. But that's where sanctification comes in. And um, we will be talking about sanctification, not next week, but the week following. And that's a part of the atonement. Sanctification. Living a godly and holy life. How many are relying upon the Spirit of God in you as you yield your life to obeying His Word and living for Him? to continue in your walk with God. If not, how many of you would like to repent this morning? You can lift your hand. I want to continue. I want to continue. I, I, I have no other choice if I'm going to go to heaven but to persevere. Because if you don't or I don't, we will not be in heaven. Amen. Say praise the Lord. Okay. Lord willing, next Sunday morning, I will teach you about the benefits of the atonement. And then from there, the following week, probably have to wait to the following week to get into sanctification because it's very lengthy. Okay. But we're moving closer and closer to the end of the doctrine of the atonement. And after that, I've got maybe one more lesson in theology, and that's the eternal state. So we are getting very close to finishing this. I appreciate you laboring with me. In the word of the Lord, I know it's been difficult for you to just sit there and listen, but I pray it's been a blessing to you. Amen. Let's stand. Father, we come before you right now. We thank you for speaking to us tonight, today, this morning. God, in having mercy upon us, having grace for us. Jesus, I need you. I depend upon you. I look to you today. I pray for this church, Bible-centered fellowship. Help us, God, as a church to continue serving you faithfully 
we thank you for the word of God that makes us free. Help us, God, to win the lost. And we pray for those who backslid away from you, Lord, today, that they would return into the kingdom of God. Give them life, we pray. Bring them out of a lost condition and a condition of death. Bring them back to yourself, God. Set this church on fire. We pray for the lost to be drawn by your spirit. This pastor. God. You know what I need, God. You know what I need. You know, Lord, today. What it will take for me to be effective in this last generation, this hour. Do your work in me, God. I pray as I surrender. As I yield myself to you. I give you all praise and all glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord.